streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I'm a survivor. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I going down like no punk a new survivor wednesday on cbs and streaming on paramount plus October the 24th, 2023. I am Dan Rubin. This is the Bucknuts Morning 5 and Change. Had some technical difficulties on one of our ends today. We should we should be joined here momentarily by Bill Curlick and Mark Porter, but it's technology, so who knows. But gentlemen across the nation, I have an urgent message for you. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The brand that took your balls to space is now launching them into the ultrasphere. Introducing the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Featuring a new cutting-edge design and next-generation dual skin-safe blade heads from different shaves. It's pretty much a spaceship to take your boys downstairs to the next level. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with the brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. By going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code BUCKNUTS. High tech for low places, Manscaped. Got to take it on the go? Manscaped has you covered. This puppy comes with a travel case and even a travel lock feature to avoid any accidental powering and or weird looks at the airport. This right here is on the cutting edge of cutting up. Upgrade your ball trimmer. And your life will follow. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code BUCKNUTS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code BUCKNUTS at manscaped.com. Your balls have been through enough. It's time to go ultra at manscaped.com. And then as another reward, we bring in the Dean, Bill Curlick, and Mark Porter. Gentlemen, it was quite a weekend, Um, Bill. And I joined up, and Bill took the results on a photo gallery of all the recruits. And it was a stars group of stars, and the red carpet was rolled out. And we will get to some evaluations via Mark. Mark also did his famous Buckeye and the Sky on the Penn State game, so we will get to that as well. But first, Bill, the plush red carpet, who were the three recruits you felt like this weekend had the biggest impact on? Well, I think you've got to start with five-star cornerback, 2025, Devin Sanchez. Uh, If you saw the story I posted on um, uh, Sunday, late morning, early afternoon, um, if you're a Buckeye fan, you got to be 
uh, happy with uh, how things went. Uh, Devin told me that, um, as he put it, I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, that um, Ohio State's not only still number one on his list, he said if Ohio State continues to do what they are doing, they're going to be running away with this recruitment. And that certainly is a great, great thing for the Buckeyes. He is as good as it gets. Um, he was here with his parents, and it just went extremely well. So that uh, in alone, I think, uh, uh, was perhaps the b- biggest story of the weekend recruiting-wise for Ohio State. Then you got to move to Amaris Williams. They did really well with him. He and his family were impressed. Um, he's not ready to make a commitment, but Ohio State is squarely in the running for him, and he would be a great 2024 class addition. Um, I think he's going to still uh, visit other schools. Um, Tennessee uh, is certainly on the list still. Penn State, and it'll be interesting. He has been planning to get back to Florida uh, November 4th when they play Arkansas. It'll be interesting to see if he does make that visit or not. Um, and you know a guy that we're not talking about a lot that uh, was great that he was in the house? Jeremiah Smith, the country's number one prospect. You know, you, to see what Marvin Harrison did in person and front row seat and all that, that's got to be nothing but a good thing when it comes to Jeremiah Smith. And you said three. That's three right there. But let me lump a fourth uh, group in together. Some of the Ohio 2025 guys like Carter Lowe, Marquise Davis, Trey McNutt as examples, uh, Justin Hill, you know, they were all there. There were, there were others too. Great to have them there in the house when everything went so well. Mark, when you hear those Ohio names, who jumps out to you? Uh, Marquise Davis, and he is a hot name right now. I talked to a college coach this weekend on my way to a game who was asking me a lot about Marquise Davis and you know, they're still not sold if he's a running back or a defensive back. And, and this is college coach chatter, you know, like, where do we like him better, Mark? Or what do you think? And they're, if they're still asking me that, that means they're still sitting in their staff room and maybe fighting over him or trying to decide what they're going to bring him in as. But the word I got was running back, obviously. That's what everybody else is recruiting him as. Uh, and then Carter Lowe, I went to see a few weeks ago, and I think I said it like this. I, I don't solicit the kids or their opinions where they're going. But when someone tells me where they're going, I take that with a little more weight because it's unsolicited. And when they tell me, sometimes they think I'm, uh, you know, not going to repeat it or whatever, or, you know, they or they like to brag to me about it. But both visits I made at Toledo Whitmer, there was a lot of bragging and a lot of tapping me on the shoulder. Hey, he's he's a lock for Ohio State. It's, it's a done deal. Just a matter of time. Um, and usually I don't get that much verbiage out of people on how sure they are. So. Uh, I I don't throw my hat into these things. I don't have a crystal ball, but the the Toledo Whitmer area is behind uh, Carter Lowe coming to Columbus. And there were also some tremendous in-state commitments there, like Tavian St. Clair, Chris Henry, and such. It would be impossible to name them all. Bill, let's get back to Amaris Williams real quickly, just because I think uh, he seems to me to be the apple of their eye right now. I know they're in the mix and still working on Jordan Seaton, and you can tell us whoever else they're going after. Williams is committed to Florida. Florida got a commitment over the weekend from LJ McCray, one of the very few defensive linemen ranked ahead of Amaris Williams. 
if Amaris Williams were to join Ohio State's recruiting class, that would give them number three, number six, and number 10, Justin Scott, Edric Houston, and Amaris Williams. Do you think the fact that Florida added LJ McCray, literally one of the few guys he could see himself behind early in his own class, will help them at all? Or is that just kind of coincidental timing? Well, I think it maybe, maybe helps Ohio State a little bit. But, uh, you know, if you're Florida, you're going to tell them, hey, you know, Ohio State's got great players there. Uh, we're a better situation as far as playing early. So I think, you know, both schools uh, uh, are going to try to use that to their benefit a little bit. So I think it maybe helps Ohio State a little bit. But in the end, um, Amaris Williams, I don't think, is going to be afraid of competition because if you are, you don't go to a place like Ohio State. <laughs> Ohio State's uh, got uh, great players and certainly uh, more talent than Florida. Maybe, uh, uh, you know, you can go individual position-wise, but, um, you know, I, I think that uh, it may be a slight factor, but I can tell you, I know for a fact that Florida is not uh, giving up the, the ghosts, so to speak. They're working hard. They want to get him on, back on campus for um, that November 4th game against Arkansas. But we'll see. You know, maybe Amaris Williams just goes ahead and uh, reopens his recruitment altogether. Because, I, like I said, I think uh, – I know Tennessee is still recruiting him, Ohio State, uh, Penn State, Florida. So – We'll see what happens in the next, say, week or so. And uh, that November 4th game is not the too distant future for Florida to play Arkansas. And in their case, they really, like I said, want to get him back on campus. All right, Bill, let's close out the weekend like this. That was their big red carpet weekend. Um, and we're getting questions like this. You can probably set the scene a little bit better. That used to be a little more common. Do you think it was successful overall? Oh, it's a huge success, no doubt about it. I mean, if you if you just read the the articles I put on uh, Bucknuts with recruits reacting, um, the crowd did their part. The atmosphere was tremendous. Almost every kid I talked to talked about the how big a factor and how much they uh, thought of how great the Ohio State fans were. So the crowd did their part. The Buckeyes did their part in winning the game. Um, I don't think that uh, a lot of people were feeling like, well, there's going to be immediate dividends from this weekend. You're going to see two, three, four, five commitments within a day or two. That really doesn't happen very often anymore. Um, I think in the long run, we're going to look back at this weekend and we're going to see that a lot of the kids out of the 2025 and some out of the 2026 that end up eventually committing to Ohio State will come out of this weekend they will have been in the horseshoe on saturday for that game so i think it'll maybe take a little bit of time um but in the end this was is going to turn out to be a huge re recruiting weekend a very successful recruiting weekend for ohio state no doubt in my mind about that bill came on 13 has a question for you but he spelled the name wrong and given the fact said prospect's mother may be watching now i don't want to print it Bill, how close are you for putting a crystal ball in for Devin Sanchez? There's no D in Sanchez, by the way. Go ahead, Bill. Well, I, that's not the first time I've been asked that question since I did that article on Sunday uh, in which Devin talked about uh, high state 
remaining number one and perhaps being able to run away with his recruitment if they continue doing what they're doing. Um, so that's been asked me. And certainly I have considered it. I'm not quite ready to do it yet. I've certainly considered it. But he's going to take other visits still. Um, you know, he's still looking at Alabama and a host of other great uh, programs across the country. Um, I asked him on Sunday, what is the soonest you think you might make your college choice or decision? And his answer, things can change, but his answer was probably sometime in January would be the soonest he decides. So that's a little ways off. Things can change. A lot can change in uh, one, two, three, four months of time. So we'll see what happens. But I will say I've absolutely considered putting a crystal ball pick in him. I'm just not quite for a high state with him. I'm just not quite ready um, as he continues his recruitment and his evaluations. Just for a little context here, we've mentioned that he plays, Devin plays for North Shore High School in Houston. And I watch these Dallas Cowboys podcasts, blah, blah, blah. And one of their guys on there was talking about how if you stand on the sideline for Duncanville versus North Shore, it's like you're at an NFL game. That's how good the players are. It's like the top of the top of Texas. So Devin Sanchez, if he does end up matriculating to Columbus, will be battle tested. Mark, have you heard that Marquise Davis does not want to be part of a two-man running back class? I did hear that. And I think that's why college coaches were calling me as I was driving to my game is I think that he wants to be the guy, you know, and, and as at that position, it's almost like quarterback where, you know, it, I don't think kids are afraid of competition. They're afraid of not being developed. And I think that's why you see transfers. And I think that's why you see, you know, the discontents or whatever, but I think any more players realize it. And I, I will side with the players on this. You know, we just had a division two quarterback start for the Chicago bears this weekend He's the leading passer in the history of Division Two. He probably wasn't ready to start for any Division One teams uh, five years ago. He probably was an afterthought. They wouldn't even give him the reps to develop him. But if he walked onto a Division One program now, he'd be the guy, and he's the guy in the NFL. And it's because of development. So when someone like Marquise Davis says that you know, hey, I'd rather be a one running back class, or if I had my you know preference, and he's a big time enough prospect where. You can call your shots a little bit and throw some weight around, and there's going to be a school that will give you that, you know, hey, we'll just bring in one. Um, you know, it doesn't avoid competition from other classes, but I, I did hear that, and I think that's why you know, people are asking me more and more about him, where you think um, maybe his recruitment will be coming to an end sooner than later, where now maybe he's still looking around a little bit to see, you know, where he fits best. And, you know, the other thing is this, this NIL. I mean, he may be looking for his best deal. Um, this was kind of a, a the, the conversation is every class um, has maybe 20 kids coming in in college football, 25, 20 or whatever it is. There's a bottom five in that class. Somebody's ranked 21 through 25 or someone's ranked 17 through 20. And I think the new game is trying to figure out in Ohio State's class, who do they have ranked 17 through 20 in their class and who's not getting the NIL? like the top of the class is getting and would 17 through 25 rather be a one through eight player somewhere else with a bag of money that, uh, so this NIL is really going to flip the bottom of these classes 
Now, not that Mark Peace Davis is a bottom of the class kid, but if if Ohio State's got two running backs and it could make things tricky for him because that's the rumor I got. That was a long answer for that, but that that's kind of what I was feeling, and that's the conversations I'm having. I love it. Go ahead, William. One thing to add to that, Mark mentioned about whether he would decide sooner, later, or whatever. I did. I talked on Monday morning. I called a source uh, very familiar with Marquise uh, and his recruitment, and I was told that uh, he's not even Marquise is not even close to deciding at this point. Um, many people probably don't realize it. He's Marquise is a junior, but he's only 16 years old. Uh, he will not turn 17 till I think November or December. So, you know, he's, he's young, he's, he's 16 years old and a lot of 16 year olds don't know where in the world they're going to go to college. And especially, especially ones that have offers from all the, you know, many of the top schools in the country, when he enrolls in college for his first day, uh, he's not even going to be 18 years old at that point. So um, as the source put it, right now, he's a young man that just um, um, uh, wants to concentrate on helping Cleveland Heights win as many games as he can the rest of the season, be a normal 16-year-old, uh, you know, a teenager in high school and all that. Sure, he's looking at recruiting some, but... Again, at this point, he's, according to what I was told, not close at all to making a college choice. So uh, that one we're going to be waiting out unless something changes. Again, things do change in recruiting, but that's the way it stands right now. Any graduate of Travis Kelsey High School, I heard they're maybe changing the name, try and get some uh, more social media followers. But I digress. Um, and I kid. I wasn't going to bring this up. Far be it from me to take any enjoyment in other people's, uh, I don't even know what you call it, malfeasance, you call it misery, but about 80% of the comments on here are about what has gone on up north. So I'm going to let each one of you comment on it. You can handle this question any way you see fit. So basically, uh, there's been an investigation. Uh, way I see this with the Michigan deal, there's two separate, there's two corollary tracks here. What they did, sending a guy on the road to scout from the stands, considering most high school teams, that's the basis of their scouting uh, for basketball. I'm not sure this, uh, it's the most, you know, morally bankrupt approach to things. But the other thing is, it's against the rules. So we can argue whether or not it's a stupid rule or not. I happen to think it's kind of a stupid rule. But if it's a rule and everyone has to follow it, um, try speeding and then telling the uh, cop when he gets there, this is this shouldn't be 55. This should definitely be 75. <laughs> See how that goes over with the cop. My guess is not well. So that's kind of what I'm saying. I don't. I don't. I don't, uh, I mean, it's not like they uh, upended the arc here, but Bill, your thoughts. And if you've heard anything that uh, if this is being taken seriously, if they're freaked out, whatever. 
Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Well, you know, I, looking at the whole situation, I, yeah, I think it's a big deal in that uh, Michigan already, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, is under the watch of the NCAA because of what happened with the Harbaugh suspension. And you know, you'd add add this on to it, and, and the NCAA's, you know, they've got to take this very seriously. Um, I don't know what any penalties might be. Uh, that's kind of not my area, so to speak. But I can tell you, recruiting-wise, anything that is a negative is important. In any, you know, you like to take advantage of any positive you possibly have, and now you've got a another negative. And I link back to when I was talking to one high school recruit uh, at a prominent program. Um, before the season started, and he told me that, uh, um, you know, he didn't, uh, he wasn't going to really go to visit Michigan for their barbecue at the end because he just felt like with what was going on, um, that he just didn't know if Jim Harbaugh was going to be there in a couple years or a little bit down the road. And that situation negatively recruit, negatively impacted. Uh, what he was thinking about Michigan, and now you add another one on, and you got to think that uh, uh, high school kids, I know the high school kids look at that stuff. So, uh, you know, that's my kind of thoughts on it. What does it do to recruiting? Well, it certainly doesn't help the situation. Mark, you talk to a variety of college coaches at all levels. What's the vibe on this? Yeah, I think of what would he be doing in a game that he couldn't get off a game tape or through a scouting report. Um, I go to games because I want to stand next to the players and make sure they're a legit height and weight. So that's my real reason. If I didn't have to make sure they were just legit, I could pretty much just watch the tape and get what I needed to know. Um, so is a Michigan guy going there just to say, Hey, their tailbacks really five eleven. Uh, their left guards really six, six. You know, I don't think that's what it is. What's not on game tape is the pre-snap on the sidelines, what's going on. So depending on where he's sitting, and it almost reminds me of a deflate gate, ask this kid to see what's on his phone and see if he was recording the sidelines. Because if you're there at that game and, well, the thing I'm getting from this game that we're not getting on tape is these signals and that the head taps coming in. And if I can start predicting that, hey, every time it's a tap of the shoulder, it seems like cover three. Every time it's a tap of the head, it's cover four. And I can come out of there with any sort of a beat or a recording. And I'm not saying that's what's happening, but I, that's the nefarious reason that everyone's like, did they steal signs? Because if you're stealing signs, let's be honest, what's offensive play calling about? 
predictability of what's going to be across from you on defense. If I can call a play predicting what you're going to show up in, my hit percentage throughout the game is inevitably going to go up, and that increases our chances of winning, and that's right on the fringe of cheating. Um, so I'm someone who, like, this kind of strikes at the soul of cheating, especially if there is a rule that says, hey, we all agree we're not going to go to games because what's there to do at games besides steal signs? You know, besides see stuff that's not on the game tape, even if it's just players giving each other signs. And when I'm on the sidelines, I hear a lot of communication from secondaries, like roll to three, cut, and you hear what the coaches are yelling. And by the end of the game, I feel like I'm in the huddle sometimes, and I know what's, you know, so uh, I hope it's not that nefarious. And, boy, I mean, I, I read today where this kid, you know, used his ID and got tickets to a bunch of games over the past couple of years. And Belichick was uh, – I, I thought not Belichick, but McDaniels uh, was filming games at the Broncos. And I think they started off like 7-0 or 6-0 when he was at the Broncos, and then he got called on it. And his record since then has been atrocious. You know, so – there is a distinct advantage to doing something like this. And uh, whoever this kid is, boy, I, you'd like to know what was on his phone because it's one thing if you're Rain Man and you can go there and remember the signals and pick them out yourself and have a memory like that where, yeah, I, I remember all their things and I do this for every team each week. But, boy, that, that cell phone could have some pretty damaging information that would be case closed. Uh, so I'm not a big fan of what's going on. Uh, at the end of the day, here's what will happen. A fine, don't do it again, a slap on the wrist, something that will not significantly impact the season. Um, I know we'd all like to say, hey, uh, vacate all the wins. You're now out of it. Your season's meaningless. And, you know, put the death penalty on them for it and send the message. And I know Ohio State fans would roll around in that and enjoy it. And But I just don't think uh, college football does that to itself. Because that's a punishment of college football, I think, in the eyes of the NCAA. We lose one of our best teams. We lose some great matchups. We lose the playoff team. Uh, like most of this stuff. Fines. Uh, if they had draft picks, they'd lose draft picks. Um, maybe uh, Harbaugh won't be at the first three games next year. Uh, but I don't think there's any – I'm just throwing – like Bill said, I'm not going to touch what punishments there are. I could see some alternative punishment for this type of thing. Uh yeah, I don't know why the coach of the Bears would go to the first three Michigan games next year. That would be kind of silly. But um, look, man, I, I I couldn't. I agree with everything that was said by both of you in, in large part. But if you read, Mark, you brought this up. They have done some reporting on this. He bought the tickets allegedly at the forty-five yard line with perfect sight angles of the opposite and bought them on both sides. So. Um, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know he bought them on both sides. Yeah, oh boy, you got it in here. This is true that he makes fifty-five grand a year, and he bought tickets at all these road. Go, go, try and schedule yourself a weekend in uh, you know, even at like Minnesota on the forty-five yard line. That costs some money. So if you're making fifty-five grand a year, my guess is you're spending about thirty of that on tickets. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know what the. Uh, the punishment would be uh, Brad Smith may work for 60 minutes, not just be in our, uh, in our, in our call sheet here, but um, I'm trying to read this as we go. It does seem like a silly thing to, you know, 
bring a program down, but um, kind of be fun to watch. You know, it's also silly tattoos and gold pants. So karma, irony, whatever kind of uh, English. You know, and, and you know what? If, if they had a video and he was recording signs, that may be a death penalty thing where, listen, this is bold-faced cheating. It's without a doubt an advantage. It's as low as you can go. The proof's here. That that would be a death penalty. But if they don't come up with a film on this kid and it's just, ah, we're pretty sure he did it. It's It really looks like he did it, but I don't think you can death sentence the program for that. But phew. Oh, come on. I'm not saying death sentence the program. I mean, for the um, year, you, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, in real, I mean, I think podcast. I, I think I think it's that egregious of a cheating error if there was a film of signals. I mean, boy, I mean, knowing what your opponent's doing before they do it is, is oh, I mean, it's like it's like, why don't you just put them on the headphones with you? So when they call in the play, your defense, hears the play or your offense, hears the play. Uh, why play the game if you're going to give your opponent? So I'm really if there is proof, it's worthy of that type of punishment. The great Suzanne because because he didn't go there on his own accord. Yeah, ESPN has reported they have the video. Yeah, then that's I'd be real nervous if I'm them, and because that kid didn't go there and not share it with other people, and he's he's one. Uh, how do you say? Once they put him under oath, who'd you share it with? And then once those names pop out, it's over. Yeah, have you read the kid's background? No, basically. No. I don't want to. <laughs> I would. I would. Connor Stallions is his name. Google's your friend, and uh, it, it's it's um it's not good. All right, we'll put that to bed right here. That there's plenty of other people, um, who are on top of that, and uh, that's pretty funny. We lost the dean again. All right, let's finish it with this, Mark. Eye I, in the sky. Yeah, eye in the sky. Um, very interesting game. Uh, very interesting to hear or witness some of the reaction to the game. I said yesterday, um, it reminds me, you know, I'm a Cowboys fan. It reminds me sometimes Ohio state of being a Cowboys fan that people talk about Marvin Harrison, like he's not on Ohio state. And like, we, fly him in for games like Jefferson from fast times. And they're like, well, if they didn't have Marvin Harrison, they was like, okay, he's the best. What do you mean? If we didn't have Marvin Harrison, uh, it's called recruiting. And by the way, and I said this yesterday, Marvin Harrison is from the exact same hometown as Penn state's coach. So uh, yikes. Although I went back and looked further, you know what I think really helped chip Kelly having Ryan day on his staff with the Eagles so that Marvin Harrison got to see a pro coach up close and personal. But I digress. Your general thoughts of the game, having the chance to break down the film, was a great defense. Uh, you know Drew Aller as, better, as well as anybody from his high school days. What did you did you come away more confident in Ohio State, less confident, yada, yada? Uh, more confident. And remember, we picked the game, and I, and I thought Ohio State would score about 20, and It'd be a closer game, and I really I thought that Drew Aller it was hero or zero for him. He was either going to show up and be able to handle the pressure, or you were going to get a kid who just wasn't ready for prime time. And the Ohio State defense did that for a while. It was like an ugly win. You know, it was a lot of sputtering. It wasn't going the way you know you thought. We had the lead, but it wasn't like this dominating game. 
And I think Ohio State needs to learn how to win ugly. And that's a trait that when you can just slop it around and it's not your best day or you're against an opponent that's got some stoppers for you, uh, winning ugly is definitely a trait that sometimes we would lose a game like that. Uh, Having watched the film and, you know, when you say Marvin Harrison's so great, uh, two of the plays and his biggest plays of the game were schemed up plays where he ran some crossing routes and got some guys picked and he came free and he ran – so, you know, he is the most dominating player in college football, and we're lucky to have him. But we have play callers that make him look even better, you know, because, like, when I watch a play like that, I'm like, is that play duplicatable by another receiver? Those two plays were you can get another guy to run cross or pick for him, have him come free and have speed go down the sideline for a big play. That's not unique to Marvin Harrison. Uh, but having Marvin Harrison doing those other things with the one-on-ones and and – getting open when there is the double coverage or drawing the coverage over and taking a few guys to open up from other things. That's where the real, we have Marvin Harrison comes in. Uh, The run game. I will say that two weeks ago, we focused specifically on the linemen and, you know, crawled up there. You know what? They're coming off the ball. Um, Last week we saw some gap blocking where they blew people away. And then, this weekend, we saw some double teams, like I call it the double-double. They had two double teams on three techniques, working up to the linebackers. It's all downhill. It's it's flat backs and anger. Uh, so they watched the podcast, that's, that's fair to say. <laughs> and, and they probably are going to watch it until we give them what we just did, the respect that on film, those guys have. You can't change their talent right now. No one's going to get bigger during the season. No one's going to get a step faster. No one's getting 20 or 30 pounds stronger in any of their exercises. All they can do is give you more emotion, more energy, and more anger. And that's what I saw in film. And, hey, you you give us that, that'll make up that 3 or 4% that we thought, ah, oh, we're not getting out of you. But it, it looks really good for as far as the offensive line goes. Last thing I'd like you to talk about, the defensive line, I thought, has been much maligned at least the ends in terms of the sacks, I really felt like it was a complete effort. Um, there weren't a lot of busts. There weren't a lot of guys jumping gaps and getting walled off. The, Penn State had some schemed up runs early on that made me nervous. Two of them, they locked that up. Whatever adjustment was made, um, they figured it out. Your thoughts on the way the defensive line played? Agree. Like I, That kind of fell into that ugly win scenario where, you, like you're saying, there were – there were hits. There, our coverage, the announcers can't say it enough anymore on TV. A new defense. It's bend but don't break. It's eliminate right. big plays. It's you know, and so you're gonna see some some free five yard hitches, some free runs where you, you maybe get plus one by them. Uh, JT Timaluau, boy, you know, like the fourth quarter at Penn State. It's kind of funny how you know that's been his time, but you know. The sack numbers will be there at that defensive end position. When you're that featured of a guy or the one of the best in the country, you're drawing the double team. You're drawing the slide protection. You're drawing the chip on the way out of there. Um, teams are running the ball more and getting the ball out more on bubbles. I, I'd like to know what percentage of pass plays we see against us are actually sackable pass plays where the ball comes out so quick that there's really no chance for a sack. It's more get your hands up, bat it down type thing. So when we actually know that percentage, like how many true rushes is he getting where he has a five-step drop or a, a play that's going to – the quarterback going to sit for three seconds or more or whatever the number may be. And I don't think those opportunities are as plenty as, you know, you would like for him. But 
uh, the fourth quarter, he certainly showed. I mean, that bull rush where he puts his hand underneath uh, the offensive tackle's throat and runs him into the – it's almost like Darth Vader or getting lifted. I mean, it's really like that's that's some violence. And believe me, seeing him in person this summer at the camps, no doubt is he going to be one of the top players in the draft. He is a monster. So I'm pretty happy with where he's at. The rest of the defensive line, you'll see a splash play here and there. You'll see a guy uh, beat a one-on-one -on -one, uh make a play on the edge or something. But, you know, we'd like to see maybe that's the next area where we're like, let's see if we can get more consistency out of Jack Sawyer and JT. I'll tell you what, they had Kenyatta Jackson in there, the freshman defensive end, for some big snaps late in the game instead of Sawyer. So that was an interesting development. All right, we'll finish with this. Last recruiting question. One of our best, Doug Shepard, asked for an update on the Armstrong brothers. You provided that last week. I'd like you to do it again because I saw the picture. One is legitimately taller than the other now. Yeah. I mean, forever I was the one that said, oh, sophomore year, they, they're they both tight ends. They look the same, flat, flat washboard, almost ab-type setups. From the summer till now, uh, Deontay is the tackle, Devontae is the guard. The guard, Devontae, has got bigger. Bigger legs, bigger butt, uh, even a bigger midsection, and you can see the difference in height. Being identical twins, you wonder – it, how how far, like from a doctor's perspective, will these guys grow apart, you know, as they lift and, you know, because most twins are going to stay the same, but these guys are in a weight room putting in different amounts of work on different. So their bodies are going to take to their nutrition and all that other stuff. And there may be a difference, but it was interesting to see how much they didn't look like twins anymore. And you feel like they are progressing towards being big 10 caliber players, of course. Yeah, and, and I always thought that maybe both of them were tackles, and they just had one at guard because they had Ben Roebuck on the other side, which is a unique thing to have another tackle who's that good on your team. So I thought oh, maybe they're letting the brothers play next to each other, communications things. It's a unique thing. It's, well, have two guys like that on the same side. You're just going to crush people. But I think one may truly be developing into a guard, and one may have better feet at tackle. So there, there may actually be different styles of play between them where – this whole twins thing is is no more. We appreciate Mark and Bill stopping by. Bill's cautionary tale for today is do not spill water on your router. It does not help with podcasts. We appreciate you guys stopping by. We'll be back on Thursday. Have a good one. Up, now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.